Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. And welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith. Here once again for a solo interview episode and Boy, have I had a day. First things first, the full episode with John and Chuck will be released by Thursday, maybe, because boy, have I had a day. I get into it some with Cole telling him what happened, but the short of it is there was a lot of power lines down by my house because our neighbor's tree took them out and it pulled down a bunch of the telephone poles and the and the telephone poles coming down yanked out all the cables and wires connected to my house uh, so there's no power some things are broken a thing called a weather front no a weather head was pulled off my house uh, it's, the, it's like the pipe where all the wires connecting to the house go to so things are a mess but anyway uh, I'm over here at my brother-in-law's house with the portable mic while my kids are sleeping upstairs and gonna talk to Cole so Anyway, thanks for sticking with this. Full episode will be out later this week. Thanks for checking out this episode. If you want more Fast Break Breakfast content, uh, we're putting up a little bit of stuff over at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. If you want to pay for the power to be reconnected to my house. No, I'm kidding. Seriously, I'm kidding. But anyway, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. You can go there. Uh, for $1 a month, gets you in, gets you access to bonus content. If you want to step up to $3 a month, you can join our Slack chat where we talk about everything around the clock. We made, made a lot of buddies that way, have really appreciated the relationships that have grown there. That's been super fun. Uh, we were a little nervous about it, I'll be honest, but that's turned out really well. So if you want to support the show, get involved with that, you can do all of that at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. Oh, and fake out. I'm not going to an ad right now because the Grizzlies made a really good trade today. It wasn't as amazing uh, as I thought it initially was when Woj first dropped the bomb. And yes, I'm, we're going to talk about this more with John and Chuck later in the week. But since it happened today, I'm pretty excited about it. Garrett Temple is a totally functional, like 3 and D type guy. He can play a little bit of point. If he has to, he can dribble. But he's just a two. The Grizzlies did not have a worthwhile two. He's just an okay, a solid veteran, a great locker room guy. He's going to contribute on the court, and he's another versatile player. Kyle Anderson can dribble some. Garrett Temple can dribble some. You now have two guys who can dribble some and and play decent defense that the Grizzlies did not have before. So to pick him up, by only sending out Deontay Davis and Ben McLemore, that's great. It then came out, uh, Chris Harrington was the first to report it. Chris Harrington, by the way, who was just a freelance guy breaking news when like the Grizzlies beat writer for the Commercial Appeal hasn't tweeted in a month. But anyway, uh, Chris Harrington breaks the news that there's a 2021 unprotected pick. I don't love that. For the Kings, I thought it was a terrible trade initially when I found out they got that second-round pick back. It's totally fine. Just ignore the players. They turned an expiring contract of a veteran guy for a future asset, and they got a future asset from a franchise that is technically not incredibly stable, the Memphis Grizzlies. So I, I like the deal for the Grizzlies. You trade a future second-round pick, you know, that's fine to get a guy who should help this year, and suddenly everyone is jumping on the bandwagon of this has been a very good offseason. Jaron Jackson Jr., obviously, looks has looked great. And then getting Kyle Anderson and Garrett Temple, two guys who can play intense rotation minutes. Um, and you're moving guys down the depth chart who had no business being higher up in the depth chart, which, if, if you've listened long, has been my complaint forever 
They kept promoting guys up the depth chart who were bad. Now the very end of the, the depth chart is these guys who aren't super good, which is great. Like Wayne Selden, yeah, third shooting guard. That, that makes sense. Like, we don't definitely need Andrew Harrison to play all the time, although I'm, I'm high on Andrew Harrison. But, like, Javon Carter now doesn't need to play. This is great. So good job, Chris Wallace and Grizzlies front office. This was a good move. Uh, so I'm pretty excited. Welcome to the team. Thou shalt not sully the temple. My guest today is a draft analyst. He's co-founder of thestepian.com. He can be heard on the Ode to Odin podcast and frequently on the Game Theory podcast. Colswicker, how are you, buddy? I've been better. Just coming off of being like deathly sick the last two days, but coming out of it, happy to be on. Yeah, you got that Vegas flu, huh? Apparently, I didn't even do much in Vegas. I kind of had a boring story. I was mostly grinding at the gym, like 10 and a half hours, 11 hours a day, trying to watch as much basketball as possible. Well, I didn't really go out that much, so it's, uh, I don't know what the hell happened, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't do something right. No, no, it's something just about the travel, it's just about you're around people, you get on those planes, which just, they're like these vessels of disease. I, I, I got a little, like, I didn't get it bad, <laughs> but, but I definitely got a little Vegas funk where I've been coughing. Like I, it's not, I'm not I'm not quite right. It's definitely is some of that, but uh, I'm glad I'm glad you're feeling a little better. We've had a wild time, so you felt real bad the other day. We were going to talk, and then we were going to sit down and talk today, and a, a tree took out the power lines behind my house, and it was like Jurassic Park, where chain <laughs> reaction, all the poles came down, uh, really messed up my neighborhood pretty good. So uh, and it, it literally was within like. I don't know, eight minutes of when I was anticipating, like talking to you, being like, eh, this, yeah, I can't Skype. There's not, <laughs> there's not going to be power here for, <laughs> for a while. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm over at my brother-in-law's house who lives really close. I'm in his freezing cold basement, uh, which isn't helping my like vague Vegas funk I'm still in, but uh, we're going to make it happen. Uh, you said you were grinding in Vegas. You definitely were, uh, which is why I want to have you on because the rest of us, we like... You know, we drift in and out. We're like, it's good. Cole's watching. He'll tell us what we missed. So we're uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're we're cheating off you. You're the guy doing the group project who we're who we're all leaning on. But anyway, uh, I was had my power out today. Currently, still have the power out. I know when you were in Vegas, you also had your power out. Isn't that right? Absolutely correct. Yeah, I came back one of the nights. It was like a torrential rainstorm. So I was like, oh, this is kind of my element. More Washington, you know, actually not just desert heat, like 105, 110 degree weather. Get to the apartment and the power's out. And it's like, well, this isn't good. Like four hours of no AC is not great for me. Like It's still like 100 degrees and it's 130 in the morning, two o'clock. So I finally came back on. But yeah, that was a uh, that was a low point in the trip, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got to stay on the strip, man. They got generators and things. They got they got they got better uh, power, a better better power grids, better structure. I think there, the infrastructure. Learn my lesson, man. Learn it the hard way. I love the accessibility of staying in an Airbnb, like right next to the arena. I get to the place walking in five minutes. Didn't melt too quickly, but you saw the downside. You don't stay on the strip, then you get subject to apparent storms and you almost die. <laughs> right. Uh, we got to get to all these players, all these summer league prospects, but we have to ask, uh, breakfast, did you have any today? Did you have a big breakfast in Vegas? What do you got for me? I'm not a big breakfast guy, honestly. Today, right? obviously, I was like more like Alka-Seltzer and like Pepto, like curled over <laughs> on the floor. So today is probably not the most representative sample, but in Vegas, I was going to Dunkin' in the morning, getting like a huge uh, thing of iced coffee that kind of kept me going throughout the day. Got like a, I'm a fan of like sausage sandwiches and stuff like that, especially when I'm on the road. So I'll, I'll hit that up occasionally. That's pretty good. All right. So summer league, you're, you're a guy who covers the draft year round. You are very intimately acquainted with the guys on the court. I don't at all. I, like I always have you on before the draft to kind of, you know, I'm asking you questions about people who I have no idea who they are. So uh, this time it's fun for me, like when I see him at summer league, I'm starting to finally learn about these people that we've talked about or people I, I've read about. Um, and you're, you're just kind of adjusting what you've already, I guess, adjusting your opinions on these guys you've been evaluating one more time. So how much of what you see at summer league affects your opinions that you've already formed of them? Like, is there a percentage of how much, how much can it change? 
I'm not sure if there's a specific percentage or how much I my opinion really deviates in exaggerated fashion. Like I'll, I look for new skills. If anybody has developed things after the season, if, if guys look more athletic in space, like Kevin Knox is more aggressive getting to the rim. He looked a little bit more athletic than the player I saw at Kentucky. So that kind of stuff can skew my analysis, but I'm very rarely going to just drop everything that I saw in the collegiate level and the high school level for what we saw in a, in a small sample, especially when it comes to shooting. So say Trey Young, his start to shooting in Utah was horrendous. You couldn't make, you couldn't throw a rock in the ocean. That doesn't, dissuade me from all I've seen of him, his mechanics and his sample size at lower level. So I guess that would be an example of it. So you're not worried about Jalen Brunson shooting 16% on two pointers. <laughs> it's a fair question. Honestly, he did not look very good, but no, <laughs> overall, I think his craft is going to win out. But yeah, when you get in too much of the percentages, like I think stats are important. Like a guy like Kevin Knox, I mean, he really got hyped up after summer league. I mean, obviously made first team all summer league for whatever that's worth. And a lot, he got a lot of you know positive feedback because of the scoring. But then you look at the numbers sometimes and he was five basically five of 30 around the rim in the half court when you couple floaters around the rim finishes on layups and dunk attempts and then post up. So I think some stats are useful to kind of contextualize things and be like, wait a second, he might have just looked really good in flash plays. But if you read too much into shooting specifically, I think that's where you can go awry just because, I mean, one season of 35, 36 games of college basketball isn't a sufficient sample. If you're going to read too much into two or three potential bad shooting games, that is when your analysis, I think, can be impacted negatively. Right. So, so Philip Scrub, keep your head up. 0 for 14. One of those is going to drop <laughs> one of these games. Uh, and it is funny because, you know, where you use Summer League to kind of tweak and, and give yourself further inform yourself, for me, it's everything. Like 100% of my opinions of these people is based on the handful of games. Uh, and again, sometimes I don't even see a whole game. So, so it's fun. <laughs> but I, I, I do, uh, you know, I feel like I, I bat like 80% on my snap judgments. Like that guy's good. That guy's not good. Uh, like apologies, Laurie Markinen last year, snap judgment. I'm like, this guy's terrible. Turns out he's pretty good. But anyway, um, let's look at some of the guys who have kind of made a name for themselves so far or, or who might have stuck out. I know you're, you were really high on, uh, obviously, Doncic, who we didn't get to see play, but you're also really high on Trey Young and on Jaron Jackson. Um, I'm a Grizzlies fan. I'm really high on Jaron Jackson now. And you mentioned Trey Young. You're not super worried. So you're still really high on those guys. Are you feeling validated about, about your draft list? Yeah, they didn't really show me anything to really dissuade me from my pre-draft opinions. I think that it kind of aligned with what I expected for the most part. I expected Trey to struggle a little bit with the added athleticism, length, speed of the game, all of that stuff. It's going to take some time to acclimate when you have skill guys who aren't crazy athletes, especially with the lack of size. So it's going to take him a while to get the craft down and get the timing down. So I expected a little bit of struggles out of the gate there. Jaron was basically what I expected outside of just looking far more comfortable shooting above the break threes, even off of motion. Like he just really looked like a knockdown shooter. I mean, we knew we could pick and pop. He showed a little bit of flashes at uh, Michigan State. He didn't get to show a lot of the off the dribble stuff. I'm I'm not really sure how much I buy like the pull up shot still. But overall, I think he just his comfort level as a shooter really stood out to me. But I was always higher on his handle, his coordination there, his ability to put the ball on the floor, and his defense is just as advertised. Man, he looks like a potential perennial defensive player of the year candidate. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited. I'm sitting there again expecting so little from from the Grizzlies and expecting uh you know again knowing all I knew about Jaron Jackson was like you know the quote unquote nerd twitter loved him and the analytics people loved him and then a bunch of other eye test people were like he didn't play the last 5 minutes of games like Tom Izzo benched him and I'm just like man we drafted a backup but now it turns out we have like <laughs> Bill Russell with a three point shot so I'm all in <laughs> I'm pretty excited uh before we move on to another oh, I love it uh Trey Young I feel like he's gotten a lot of negative buzz, but he's one guy who I actually watched play and I was like, this guy's going to be like, I feel like he's pretty good. Like he, you know, he shot terribly in Utah, but like the stuff I was seeing again, not a scout, just more of a guy who just watches a ton of basketball. Like, you know, he, he can set his guys up nonstop and he was always making plays and he was hitting shots. I was like, this guy's fun. Like, I'm not worried at all. 
Yeah, and I think that's kind of my takeaway, too. Even when his shot wasn't going down, I've said since day one, well, maybe not day one, but like day three, that his passing and his playmaking for others is what his best skill is. Like his shooting is his most important, but his best overall skill is his passing anticipation. He can make pick and roll reads. We saw that. I mean, even when the shot wasn't falling, he was facilitating for others. You know, he did have some problems creating space at times. He tried to use these quick hitting crossovers through the legs moves. I thought those weren't that effective because he can't keep guys on his hip with his lack of strength. That's going to be a problem with him. But when he started going to those more deceptive hang dribbles, um, these space eating moves, I thought he was actually pretty effective overall. I think there's, with him, there's always going to be a large amount of divisiveness just because I feel like when you're not a crazy athlete and you don't pop as a scorer all the time and the shots don't always go down, it's easier to pick your game apart. And he came with that whole hype train of if he, is he Stephen Curry? Is he Steve Nash? It's like, just let, let, let the kid have like two years to acclimate to the league or something. I think he showed enough flashes to where I'm not willing to, I mean, I'm definitely not writing him off. I'm buying all the available stock that's available. I, it just, it's just pretty predictable. He's the kind of guy that gets picked on in summer league. Yeah. Are there any other guys who you were, or your, your draft analysis, you had them ranked higher than maybe the, the typical draft boards that you felt validated that you saw in summer league that you were like, wow, that guy, that guy's, I'm, I'm feeling good. That guy's popping out there. Or were there any others that maybe you were higher on that you were like, nope, maybe, maybe I was wrong there. Yeah. Wendell Carter's the guy in positive fashion. I had him fourth. He was my second big um, after Jaron Jackson on my board. And I just kind of saw everything that I really wanted to see from him. He actually impressed me more with his space defense. He slimmed down a little bit. He was able to stick with guards relatively well. His functional length on defense was just a huge issue for opposing teams, both contesting on the perimeter and as a rim protector. We saw everything that I expected offensively. I thought he was the best offensive big in the, in the class as far as being able to dribble pass and shoot. We saw the playmaking on dribble handoffs, all of that stuff. So he just really popped for me in positive fashion. I'm not really sure if it validates. Again, I'm not saying like I'm not sitting here and being like, oh, I was right. But I, I don't think I saw anything that dissuades me from my pre-draft opinion there. Marvin Bagley, I wasn't like super high on item ninth. And I think we can this is kind of going to be a tenuous fit issue. This is more of like a team fit idea. I mean, we've heard the rumors about being like more of a three, four. That's how the Kings utilize him. I thought he really struggled in some of the matchups because he was utilized more as like Blake Griffin, like catching the mid post, elevate over the top, try to drive around guys. He's predictable because he has no right hand. I thought he struggled a lot. We saw him go against Derek Jones in Sacramento, the combo forward, who really just shut him down. I think he had like three points in that game, only three field goal attempts. So I think him overall, I wasn't super high on him. I was more skeptical. I think I had him ninth on my board again. Um, he kind of lived up to that billing. I don't know. Like I, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach with Bagley, but he's sure. the guy that was kind of more of a negative for me. Yeah, were there were there any others or teams that you think maybe already have immediate buyers regret on their first round picks? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm not sure if the Hawks have regret for taking Trey. I didn't agree. I love Trey. I didn't agree with the trade with Luca, but it's a lot harder to assess that, of course, because Luca didn't play. So we don't have maybe a lot of immediate regret there. I don't know if anybody at the top, I would say maybe the Kings. That's kind of why I was building this in. Maybe they do, but it doesn't sound like they do from their, their own personal standpoint. They seem like Marvin Bagley was the second best player in the draft to them. So they probably don't have remorse, but I think they should probably have a little bit of trepidation there just because of the players that went after him and like the fit concerns. Yeah. One thing I was telling someone else is it, it seems like all the first round draft picks or most of them, you can go down the list. They all acquitted themselves pretty nicely. Like everyone I watched, yep. I'm like, that guy looked pretty good. Like that guy, that guy looked pretty good. Like, or he was, he was in a game. Um, you're at least like that guy's one of the better players. One, I have a question about, um, I, I'm just going to jump around here. Uh, Miles Bridges on the Hornets. When I watched him play summer league, my thought was, He's clearly one of the better guys out there. He shot a pretty poor percentage, but he seems so tiny to me. I can't even imagine like what he plays in the NBA. Like, did you see enough of him that you understand like how he's going to translate into the NBA? Yeah, Bridges is definitely more of like a combo four type. He's really strong as far as build. He's really thick in his lower body. I, he's got he's switchable. I think the shooting he didn't shoot well, and that's his main input. Is he shoots off motion. He shoots a little bit on pull ups, but he's not great getting to the rim. It's not very deceptive, but a very explosive athlete. When you can get out in transition and on cuts and stuff, finishing at the rim, attacking closeouts. I think he's going to be a monster there. Just the off ball defense is where it's it's going to be a struggle with him. He showed that he's not very good off the ball as far as staying aware 
and he kind of reacts slowly at times, gets beat back door. So there are some issues there. And if you talk about a team that might have some regret, I don't think they're at this level, but we saw the way that Jay Alexander played. Maybe like the Hornets look at that trade where they traded back a spot, and it's like maybe we should have taken Shea. I don't know if they're thinking that way, but that might be one another team to look at. But I, I'm very high on Bridges. I like Bridges more than Shea coming into the draft. I think he's going to be fine. Just a really easy fit in the modern NBA. Oh, that's interesting. So Shea Gilgis Alexander kind of got a lot of buzz at summer league. That's a Hornets uh, pun intended. The like he was killing people. I uh, it seemed like he could get to the rim at will. I, I was really impressed with him. I, I feel like again a lot of people were talking about maybe him being even better than people anticipated. Perhaps the top point guard of this whole class. Um, just talk about Gilgis Alexander and, and and what you saw and how and what you think he's going to be. Yeah, I think he's the guy out of all my rankings. I had him 15th on my board. He's the guy that I worry that I'm the lowest on. I think that is my takeaway. The Houston game, he was awesome in the game against Anthony Melton. That was probably the best individual prospect matchup we saw. He was just dusting everybody off the dribble. Like his first step, he was getting to the rim pretty much at will. All of the stuff that made him a potential point guard was on display in that game. Like his drive and kick vision is always going to be there. But his length extension finishes, those were working around the rim. His body control, his craft, stuff that was not working for him in the first game. If you, He had a lot of positive feedback after his first game. I didn't think he was all that impressive. Like his pull-ups weren't there. And that's going to be the key with him is – the pull-up jumper. Can he hit that pull-up three? Is he going to be deceptive enough there? He showed flashes of expediting his release a little bit, so that was positive. I, I'm with you. I think that he impressed me far more, but it wasn't like the consistent performances. Like, Wendell Carter was very good to great in every game. Like, Shea was more like he was great in one game. Like, maybe the best performance from any rookie. He was pretty good in the other game, and then he was only average in the other game. So I'm just looking forward to seeing him more against NBA-caliber point guards. If he can shoot the ball off the catch and it would be a great pick. Yeah, he, he reminds me, again, I don't know his game that well. He reminds me of like a 6'6 Dennis Schroeder. I don't mean that any backhanded way. Like he's a big Dennis Schroeder who can get to the rim like every single time. I don't know. I assume he's a better defender. Like does he have that that defensive pedigree that people are expecting him to be maybe a lockdown guard? I don't know about lockdown guard, but definitely a higher pedigree than Dennis Schroeder. I'm not sure if he's quite as quick, but the length, and he's really, really smart. So as a team defender, he knows where to be, gets in passing lanes. His length is a really big problem. He struggles a little bit with the the quick twitch guys. He's not super agile laterally. He's good enough. It just depends on if he can add a little bit of core strength, a little bit more athletic pop laterally. Maybe he improves enough there. But yeah, he's definitely viewed more as a two-way guy, mostly because of his size and his length. So another one of the point guards who got taken ahead of Shea Gildress-Alexander is Colin Sexton, who also was named to first-team All-Summer League. I wasn't particularly impressed with what I saw. I heard some people saying maybe he had like he, he was a little banged up. Um, what, what did you see of him? It's pretty much exactly what I expected. I mean, he's a very aggressive scoring guard. He gets downhill. He's very good at getting to the foul line. He's adept drawing fouls. He's tough. Um, he's not over explosive around the rim. He's got good burst, but he's not like crazy athletic. Like, he's not De'Aaron Fox or Dennis Smith as a leaper, but where he is, he does excel is just that straight line attacking drives. He can beat guys with his first step. He's good there. Um, as a pull-up shooter, I think he was pretty good actually in the mid-range. We didn't see a ton from three. Where I worry about him the most is his playmaking for others, and that's always kind of been the, the bugaboo with him. Is He's not like a natural point guard, a natural distributor. If you watch his pick and roll possessions, a lot of the times he was hitting the dive man or the simple pass one pass away. He's not adept like a Shea or a Trey hitting that skip pass. I don't think he sees all of the court. That's going to be the area for me to monitor. But for the most part, I expected him to score. Um, I think that that clip last night where he was like intensely guarding Josh Hart and you saw him <laughs> kind of engaged and all the fun parts about his personality and he didn't even contest the shot that well. That kind of <laughs> exemplifies defense for the most part like it looks like he's trying and I think he, he has all the tools to be a plus defender but he just hasn't put it together yet he's just he's just really fun I mean you can't watch him and not be entertained but I think some of that funness overshadows like he's I'm not sure he's actually going to be an impactful player yeah that was the most college basketball play I've ever seen in my life it was the it was the oh look at that guy like oh we're slapping the court and then you get beat the guy dribbles past you it's like yeah yeah you're you're super hyped up you flex and you you did you actually did not play uh, any any defense. Yep. Uh, in, in our step back email thread today, someone was saying like, "Oh yeah, he's going to average 18 points per game on 38 percent shooting." I was like, "Oh, nice." Um, 
So another one of the first team That's guys. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Another one of the guys who got named to the to the all first team. The first team we've mentioned, uh Colin Sexton and then um Wendell Carter, as you mentioned, who was who was again in- incredible. Uh Kevin Knox made it. I saw I saw the game. The only game I saw start to finish of him was against the Lakers, where he had a, a third quarter where he got on fire, uh, was hitting everything. So I came away blown away. Um he put up points on massive volume shooting. And some people were saying like, well, the coaching staff was telling him to be aggressive. But again, Knicks fans are crazy fired up for Kevin Knox. The bit I saw of him, I was like, wow, this guy seems awesome. So uh, do, I, do I need to temper my expectations any? Well, I know. I, I remember because I was sitting next to you during that. Oh, no, yeah, we were sitting there. Yeah, there breakout, we go. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. was absolutely, <laughs> it was just absolutely scorching. Like he was incredible in that game. That was one of the best stands I saw from any player at Summer League. So I get if that's the sample you're, you're getting accustomed to him with, it's a very good sample. Like he, his shot was going, you know, he looked athletic getting to the rim again. I think that his aggressiveness, especially in transition as a finisher, he had some really, really awesome flash plays. We saw him handle a little bit more and pick and roll. He looked adept as far as he's huge in person. Like he's yeah, legit six, nine, his frame, his frame really pops. Like he's one of the bigger combo for as you'll see in that setting. So I think he looked really good just in that setting as a score. But again, I'm more curious on how it's going to translate to winning. I think the Knicks fans should be ecstatic, but I've seen some revisionist history already being like, Oh, this guy should have been a top five pick. If you watched him at Kentucky, you would not have said that. Yeah. He, uh, when I was watching that game, I forgot, again, I forgot I was sitting by you that, that time for everyone knows there's, there's 10 games a day. It, it all runs together. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I was thinking like, I was thinking to myself, like, you think the Grizzlies could have traded Mike Conley for the, for the Knicks first round pick last year? Like, cool. Can I have, <laughs> can I have Kevin Knox and Jaron Jackson, Jackson Jr. But no, uh, yeah, he seemed huge and so fast. And again, like in this positionless NBA, the dream, the three and D, the switchable wings to have a six, nine guy who I've seen blow by guys and dunk. And then again, get on fire from three. I was like, what in the world? Like that guy, that, that guy, that guy's amazing. Um, Jumping to another, uh, the again we talked about Shea Gilders Alexander. I don't even remember seeing Jerome Robinson play. I saw, I saw his stats. He, he played. He played three games. Uh, did, did you see much of him? I did. He was kind of quiet. Like he didn't really pop dynamically. I was never. I thought this was a reach at draft time. The only reason I'm questioning myself is because it's Jerry West, and whenever he does something, you have to go back and like watch the film. I was like, did I miss anything? Um, I I could see why he would kill personal private workouts with teams. Like he can really shoot the ball off the catch, off the dribble, off movement. We saw that ability. His mechanics are really clean. Um, he just didn't pop as a playmaker. Really, he didn't play as much on the ball. And defensively, he's just not good. I mean, that's the thing that you notice in person. He's not that big and he's just a step slow reacting to things. He gets run through a lot with his frame. He doesn't look like super small in person, but he doesn't look big either. So his size definitely didn't impress me. So I I kind of went into it with tempered expectations and that's kind of how he delivered. Um, let's, we're not going to hit every first round pick, but let's hit some, some of the big ones, especially the, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the first overall pick, they got DeAndre Ayton. There were some, I feel like mixed buzz. I, I wasn't disappointed with anything I saw. Like he's a very impressive physical specimen. And then, uh, Mikhail Bridges, who they got 10th. I thought that guy was awesome. Uh, again, as, as a wing, it looked like, you know, a, a sniper. He, he was hitting his shots again, small sample size. Uh, but, uh, his, his shooting motion looked, looked beautiful and, and they were going in. So, uh, should Suns fans be super excited about their first round haul? Yeah, I think they should be as excited as they were before summer league. I thought Aiton was fine. Some of the reactions extremist, either positive or negative. I don't really get like, he wasn't really allowed. He wasn't doing that much offensively. Like, they were mostly like, diving him to the rim. He was getting chipped a lot. Like the Dallas game where those guys were all taking shots at him on his body, leaving shooters. So he, we didn't see him even take a three. I don't think he took some mid range shots. He, he never dribbles. He never dribbled at Arizona. So we don't know too much about the one-on-one creation. I don't think he's like super coordinated as a ball handler. Defensively, he had some nice flash plays. One play stood out in the Dallas game where he kind of helped on this baseline drive, cut off the ice pick and roll coverage, recovered to Jonathan Motley, then got his head around quickly and located the ball again and cut off the drive, rotated to the opposite of the key and then challenged the shot. We can see his physical stature, his strength and his length and his size matters around the rim when he is in the right position. So I felt with him, it was kind of what I expected. He didn't show a lot of the skill game. It was mostly kind of like a workman-like effort where at least he bought into the system, right? He did the small things. He rebounded. He didn't pout about not getting the ball because they couldn't throw him an entry pass in that Kings game. It was just abysmal play there. 
Mikael Bridges was basically as advertised. He does what he does really well. Like his shooting, he can, has that high release point. He can shoot right over the top of contests. Like even when you can test right in his face, his release point is special. He can hit catch and shoot threes. He was awesome in that first game that they played. And then he plays high-level team defense. He's a really smart guy. He doesn't make mistakes. Um, I think a lot of guys make the mistake of pointing to, oh, this guy's not a great passer. He's not a great ball handler. You know, he can get beat sometimes on switches. But what he does really well is the most valuable things that wings can do. And that's shooting the ball off motion and then playing team defense defense. So the Suns should be ecstatic with him. I think he's going to fit right in. He's one of the easiest plug and play guys in the draft. Not going to use a lot of possessions. He's just going to shoot the ball and he's a gravity threat. Like guys were guarding him very closely on the weak side and that matters. Yeah. The Suns now have a, they have one of those very confusing rotations where I don't understand like what their forward rotations are going to be. And it wasn't helped that like Josh Jackson looked atrocious in the couple games he played. Uh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least uh, Mikel Bridges, uh, you know, it looks like it looks like he he's they, definitely a, a good pick. Uh, can fit in as you said, slot in again. Who he slots in beside? Like hopefully it's not Dragon Bender and uh, Marquise Chris and whoever else is there. Those guys. Uh, I, I mean, Chris didn't play, but Bender looked pretty bad. Uh, and then uh, Josh Jackson had uh, two hilariously bad games. I think uh, another rotation, another team that has a strange rotation that I don't understand uh, for the regular season will be the Orlando Magic. Mo Bamba looked fun, though, and, and his buddy Jonathan Isaac was awesome when he played. But l- let's talk about Bamba since since he's the rookie. Uh, is he just going to be a project this year? Like, he, he seemed pretty coordinated and, again, crazy tall, blocking everything. Uh, I liked what I saw. What did you see? I was... I was impressed. I wasn't like crazy impressed. He didn't pop in some of the same ways that the elite bigs I thought at summer league did, but he was fine. Like he, I liked his shot, seeing him shoot fluidly in person. Like you can see the, the effort that he's put in with Drew Hanlon. Like he, he looks pretty sound on pick and pops. He can set his feet relatively quickly for a lot of the looks he's going to get. I think he's going to be able to shoot now. And that was huge for me. That's why I got high on him late in the process is because the shooting is like a cherry on top. I think he's going to have to shoot because he's not like tremendous as a dive man. He can catch lobs, but not like DeAndre Jordan fashion. Like he can get knocked off his spots. A lot's going to be over time as far as physical development, how much explosiveness can he add? But we just saw it like He's a, a he's a real issue around the basket defensively. Like he his length really impacts guys. Um, he's not super physical. Aiden bullied him a couple times. He can get into his body and take that advantage away. It's going to be a process with him, but I think he might be a little bit more NBA ready than I thought. Um, but I'm still have basically the same vision of him as I did pre-draft. Yeah, and again, Jonathan Isaac. Whew, I'm excited about him. The, the flashes he showed in the regular season last year, where. It's like he had this preternatural ability to touch the basketball, like when he was on defense. Like he, he didn't seem super coordinated, but if you tried to dribble past him, he would just take it. He's like, "That's mine." I, it turns out I can reach that. You're not keeping it far <laughs> enough away from me. So he uh, he definitely dominated uh, when, when he played this summer league. So, so that that was exciting. Um, I want to look at the run of shooting guards that went in the first round, kind of group them together. We already mentioned Jerome Robinson, who went 13, and then 15, Troy Brown, 16, Zaire Smith, 17, Dante DiVincenzo, 18, Lonnie Walker, 19, Kevin Herter, and 20, Josh Akogi, 21, Grayson Allen. There's this incredible run of shooting guards in the draft. <laughs> of all those guys, who, who are you the highest on right now after seeing them play? Yeah, that's really interesting because I'm the highest on Kevin Herter, who's the only guy who didn't play. Yeah, I think out of all these guys, I would probably skew towards Zaire Smith just because of his defense. His passing looked real. That was one of the surprising things for me. He flashed the ability to make reads at the college level, but he was a very specifically used guy. He was pigeonholed into kind of a college four. He didn't have a lot of creation responsibility. His offense is still far away, but I think playing next to Ben Simmons and transition and playing off him as a cutter. There were a lot of chances that he had that he wasn't found on. So I really am a fan of his functional athleticism. His instincts are really good. So I think it's going to be more of a long-term process with him. But he can probably fill a role right away, at least with the style that Philly plays. So for me, out of all those guys, I was the highest on him pre-draft. And I think I maintained being the highest on him during summer league. A lot of these guys, I think, were kind of – I mean, Dante DiVincenzo didn't play a ton. I think he was kind of disappointing, frankly, in the latter games. We weren't still in Vegas at that juncture. Lonnie Walker – was fine. I mean, he got shots. He, the Spurs are going to put him in good advantage situations, like off the cat shooting. He can attack closeouts and transition. He's a good athlete there. He's got a very functional shot. He's got great mechanics, so he'll be okay. I wasn't impressed with some of the decision-making he, he's made. I've never really been that impressed. So he, Josh Okogie in the same fashion. Like I think 
he's okay if you scale back his usage and he's more of like the fourth or fifth option on a team in a lineup. Like he still was playing more on the ball, not enamored with his finishing ability, not great body control around the rim. Uh, he needs to get better on catch and shoots, just catching in rhythm. That's when he's at his best. His off ball defense was a little bit better than I expected. But for all these guys to answer your questions succinctly, <laughs> actually, I would say Zaire Smith was probably the guy I liked the most, even though I'm, I was the highest on Kevin Herter, who of course didn't play. That's interesting. So Zaire Smith, the one, uh, the one game I bet on the Sixers, they lost, and he he was not doing anything for me there. So I yeah. I, I was kind of biased. I got, I got I maybe maybe got a little biased against him. Uh, Grayson Allen, <laughs> who I had who I had a natural bias against because of, I'm like most people, I just hate Duke. Like I, I've hated Duke my whole life, and then I see these the, the random clips, and everyone's like, oh that guy, and so I, I like I see him, and I, I have that same oh I don't like you, but. I actually, uh, it, it was it was a roller coaster. So my initial reaction, watching him play on TV in the Utah leagues, and then seeing him in person in Vegas, I was like, this guy's kind of awesome. Like he does everything. He seems to rebound really well for a small guy. Like he tries so hard. He was hitting some shots. I'm like, this guy might be really good. And then he just kept missing shots. And again, I know it's a small sample size, but like I think he had four air balls in a game. And then I'm like, oh, so. Maybe I shouldn't hitch my wagon to a guy with four air balls in a game. So, like, is it in the middle there? Do you think he's going to even crack the rotation in Utah? Like, do you project, do you think that maybe, like, he'll have a role coming this season? Or is it going to be maybe a couple years away? Yeah, I think he might actually have a role immediately. I think he's kind of NBA ready. All it comes down to what he touched on. Can he shoot the ball? He has to shoot the ball to have value. I think his playmaking was actually a little underrated in summer league. I saw most of him actually at Utah. I didn't watch him a ton in Vegas. There's just too many other guys, and Utah didn't have enough standout prospects to where I was like, you know, waiting in line to see. I'm not huge on him overall. His defense is okay at times off the ball. He kind of has a decent idea of where to be. Um, athletically, he's not going to be able to check dynamic amount of versatile players but as a bench player i think he's going to be better suited to kind of fill a role there we'll see it just comes down to the shooting if he can shoot he can attack closeouts his passing's a little underrated he can pass on the move a little bit um, but that's the kind of archetype i see him more as like a one-way guy who isn't lost defensively who can give you a little bit of added playmaking all right looking to some of the point guards that were taken uh Again, it, it, it then maybe like a, a point guard wave started. You had Aaron Holiday taken at 23, and then jumping down into the second round, you had Elia Kobo, who went to the Suns, Javon Carter to the Grizzlies, Jalen Brunson, who we had talked about just his terrible shooting, to the Mavericks, Devontae Graham, ended up on the Hornets. Of, of those guys, who who were you most impressed by? Elliot Kobo, for me, in that first game, I saw the best game of his as far as his pick and roll craft was really impressive. Like, he's got a good frame if you watch him up close. He can create separation with his body. He has the pull-up ability, and he showed really good floor um, understanding, floor IQ, spatial awareness of his teammates. He had some really awesome poised pick and roll passes. So, me, I had him 21 on my board. He was kind of the last point guard I saw in the draft with, like, legitimate starter-level upside. And I thought that kind of carried over. Like, Aaron Holiday flashed. I thought he, he had a couple really good plays against Trey Young. I'm just not sure if he's a good enough athlete. I've never been enamored with his decision-making as, like, a creator. But playing next to Oladipo, if he can be more of a shooter type, he's definitely a knockdown off the catch guy. And then the guys like Javon Carter, Jalen Brunson, Devontae Graham, I thought were all pretty up and down, mostly down. Like, Javon turned it up a little bit. I mean, his last couple games of summer league were ridiculous. He couldn't miss. So he was like the right. best offense I've ever seen from him. So like if that's the Javon Carter, we're getting sure. Um, but he's not like a natural point guard. We saw, you know, in the Orlando game, he couldn't really get Jared Jackson, the ball in his spots. Jackson was like visibly frustrated with him just because He's not the most keen playmaker for others. I just don't know where the value is with these backup point guards. I mean, they're fine in the second round. Like Jalen Brunson, I, I like. I think he's going to be a veteran in the league. Uh, Devontae Graham, I, I saw a little bit of him, and he was not very impressive. I just would rather just take a wing here. I think that that is the takeaway for me, like a D'Anthony Melton type. That is going to have more value to me defending and being able to fill a role that way rather than taking backup point guards who are just more fungible. Yeah, I also liked Elliot Kobo. I, I might I can't remember which games I saw of him, but I, I thought he looked like, you know, someone who, who knew what was going on. Javon Carter, obviously I'm a huge Grizzlies fan. I went to all the Grizzlies games. Uh, and the first the games that every game I saw him in person, I thought he was terrible. And then and then I get home and I'm watching him on TV and, and he's like he, he's putting up these I mean one he's putting up incredible stat lines uh, in these games like 19 eight and eight uh, and then I don't remember what he had the other game he had like 26 or something uh, and he's hitting all these jumpers so I'm like well 
I'm not, I'm not sure. So yeah, I'm still not a believer, even though I recognize he, uh, he definitely kind of got on fire and he seems fun. So I, I won't get too upset, uh, next, uh, or, or too upset yet. Looking at the, the rest of the, of the second round kind of in total, um, who were, well, I'll start with one big highlight cause I'm looking at this draft list and, and he's pretty much next Mitchell Robinson, <laughs> Mitchell Robinson looked yep. amazing. I don't know. Also like Deandre Ayton, I don't know if he dribbled at all, but he was blocking everything. He was the live wire. Again, in my my Grizzlies blinders on, I'm like, why can't Deontay Davis be that? He's not my problem anymore, Deontay Davis. But like, he's the guy. You're like, this guy's super athletic. Why in the world did no one draft him? Why did no one draft him, Cole? Yeah, I mean, that's he was always high risk, high reward, and he's definitely worth the risk at, at 36. I think the Knicks nailed this, um, locking him into four years too. Yeah. that final year of being a team option. They can decline that and then he can be a restricted free agent a la Nikola Jokic. I think the Knicks really hammered this home. He, he's a straight pick and roll dive guy. Like basically you saw him in summer league. He was setting screens, diving to the rim for lobs, and then he was awesome on the offensive glass. He knows what he is. He plays a very specific way defensively. I think his awareness is actually better than I gave it credit for watching him live in person. I went back and watched all like as many possessions as I could last night on his defense overall. He's got really good rotational awareness. He's a very good team defender was the best rim protector of all of these bigs at the AAU level. And we see that. I mean, he's, he blocks a lot of shots, his ability to anticipate guys shooting jump shots. He's very good at blocking jump shots and his range. That one play, I think it was against the Lakers when we were watching that, where he came all the way across the key and blocked the corner three point shooter. That was just a lot. Not a lot of bigs can make that play. Like he has the definite physical tools. It's going to be more of a process. He fouls a lot. His technique is off. I, I worry a little bit about the high hips and his ability to move backwards well, but he's very mobile in straight lines and he's a very easy player to fit onto a team. And I think, I mean, just the pick was fantastic. There's no downside. There's only upside. Yeah, I was I was blown away. Again, just a live wire. He blocked so many shots. And he's like, he's he's catching, yep. he's finishing, he's dunking. I'm like, that's what that's what we want our big guys to do. That, that's, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> um, looking at the whole second round, who were who were some other guys who 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 really stood out to you? Uh, Anthony Melton's the next guy for me, someone who I was incredibly high on. I had him 13th on my board, so I had no idea oh, wow. why he fell to 46. <laughs> and I still I still don't understand why, because with Mitchell Robinson, there was a lot of off court concerns, like you noted, like he didn't interview well. He, of course, didn't have the college sample, but Melton apparently, he of course, didn't play his sophomore year due to the FBI investigation and whatnot. But he was a great kid. He had a clean record off the court. And if you watched him, he was working with Drew Halen on his shot. If he shot the ball, he was going to be a legit like a legit rotational piece like he does everything. He's one of the best defensive guards for his size that we've seen coming into the league in probably a decade. As far as instincts, he, he gets steals, he gets in the passing lanes, just incredibly instinctual player, very functional athlete. I think he hit seven pull-up threes in summer league overall. He made two in college from three-point range total in the half court. So you can see the work he's put into his shot. If he shoots the ball, especially in Houston's offense, which is more stationary shooting and like a one-five pick and roll setting, he's going to be a legitimate piece. I, I cannot believe he fell to 46. Yeah, he's one where, again, I don't know what other people were watching. And again, on the small sample size, it's like this guy's in command. He's, he's doing everything. Uh, again, at 46, you're like, we're going to trade Tyreek Evans? Is, is, again, uh, Grizzlies fan. <laughs> we didn't trade Tyreek Evans to pick up a late second round pick. We could have used that guy. Or we could have used, uh, I'm going to jump one for you. We could have used Sfee Mihaluk. Is that how you say his name? Sfee for the Lakers? Mihaluk. Mihaluk. That guy can't miss. Uh, is it, did he just lock in? Was this just a random, like a beautiful Josh Selby summer experience for him? Or, or is he going to be a legit player? Man, it, he looked like a legit player. I, I don't want to, this is one of the, the areas where I'm a little cautious as far as being too optimistic on him. But when you watch him in person, like a much better athlete than I think he's given credit for. And every time he shoots the ball, you think it's going in. Like when he, his mechanics are absolutely gorgeous to watch up close. They're consistent. The same every time he can shoot off motion, can shoot pull-ups. Like the shot looks very real. And he, he was a little bit bigger than I expected. He played a little bit bigger overall toughness wise defensively. I think that might actually end up being the Lakers best pick in the draft. Honestly, I wasn't enthralled with Isaac Bonga in person. We'll see Mo Wagner, but I like that pick in retrospect. He's one of the second rounders that really popped, but we'll see if it really translates to the next level. Yeah. Isaac Bonga looked like the, the two years away from two years away. He, he was yes, the, he the rawest player I, I saw out there. All right, breaking away from the draft, just a few more minutes to look over any other guys um, who, who just maybe st- who maybe either stood out or or you were really disappointed by um, in the summer league. 
Yeah, I think some of the second year guys overall, like I'm not a huge TJ Leaf guy, but he had one good game against the Spurs where he was picking on Shemezi Metu's off ball defense. Wasn't enthralled with his progression. He just kind of looked like the same same overall player. I thought some of the guys took a step back. Caleb Swanigan is another guy that looked like that. I actually think he had a pretty good first summer league, and he's another guy similar to Javon Carter who had a couple nice games of late. But when I was watching him in person, it just wasn't there. So those guys stand out more than most. Wes Awundu for the Magic. I'm not sure if he's an NBA player. They took him 33 last year. He kind of just fits what they do. I mean, we saw what they did in the draft. They just took all the length. Like they just they draft based on measurables. I'm not sure if he's a good enough shooter or a good enough defender to really make it. And the last guy for kind of disappointing another second year guy. Of course, everybody wants to talk about Dragan Bender being the third year guy. I think that's pretty well established by now. But Jonah Bolden for the Sixers, I thought was really impressive last summer. Like he made shots. His space defense was impressive. And I think he might have just been fatigued this year, but he didn't look like the same potential rotational piece that I thought he was last year. Yeah, that actually was on that. I had him written down as one of my disappointments. Cause again, the same thing I saw him play last summer and all the Sixers process believers are like, you know, he's going to go overseas. He's going <laughs> to season for a year. Like he's going to come back all developed. And like, that's, that sounds awesome. Uh, and I feel like he was in trade talks last year where like Sixers Twitter was like, Oh, we're not trading Bolden. We have the, we have the rights to Jonah Bolden. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, he, he, yeah, he was, he seemed like he was a mess in summer league. Maybe, maybe he was just, maybe he had the Vegas flu early. Uh, also, uh, I felt really bad for Harry Giles. Again, a guy who I heard a lot about for a couple years and finally seeing him play, I was like, I don't, I don't know what he's supposed to do. He, he doesn't, he doesn't seem like much, uh, much of an NBA player. Um, looking at some of, some of the really good guys, obviously, you know, there are those second year guys who really came through like, you're like, uh, John Collins, why are you playing? You're way too good. Josh Hart, who has dominated the whole summer league. Like, why are you playing? You're, you're, you're way too good. Um, but another guy, uh, who has been around summer league a few times, also a neglected child of, of the process, Christian Wood, who also made first team all summer league as just playing like a, a straight five center for the bucks was dominant. Uh, do you think he's going to be able to, I mean, it seems like some team is going to, is going to maybe bring him in this year and he can contribute. Do you, like, do you think that's in the cards for him? I absolutely think he should get backup center looks like he's talented. I don't think the town has ever been an issue with him. It's more like uh, from what I've heard it's off court stuff, some of the focus issues, but like he's a talented player. And I think he showed that in a straight role where he's, you know, dive into the basket. He can be a force. And I think that he earned himself some money in this with his play. Like he was legit good, like watching him in person a little bit. And then mostly via TV. When I got back to Seattle, he, he really popped. So I think he kind of joined that. He wasn't, I don't expect him to be, you know, he's not going to be John Collins level good or you go down the list. Like some of these guys, like I don't expect them to be, of course, like Jonathan Isaac, but I do think he earned himself some money as a rotational piece potentially. Well, and again, he, he, I don't know what he averaged. It was like, he averaged something like 23, 12, maybe that was the last, like his last three games. But like, I know he had a 28 and Ridiculous. 12 with five blocks or something. And again, you, you have these guys on summer league that sometimes, you know, they have a good matchup and, and the big guys compile uh, tons and tons of stats that, that maybe looks a, a, a little bit bigger. Um, I guess final question. Were there, we haven't mentioned a couple of these teams. I know like the the Heat, the Nets. Not that we're going to cover everybody. It's too hard in 40 minutes. But uh, were there any other players that you wanted to mention before I, before I let you go? Yeah, just two guys really quickly. The first is Jared Allen for the Nets. Just a really great developmental situation for him. I think he he has starting five equity in the league and he's going to get every opportunity to do that. We saw in the game I watched, it was one of the first plays of the game where he had the ball at half court and he blew by Joe Chi and then dunked on him um, from half court. It was really impressive, like the fluidity there. So he's just someone to keep an eye on. Good shot blocker. And the last guy is Derek White, another guy who's kind of under the radar for the Spurs. One of the best players overall that I saw at summer league. Basically every time he played a lot in Utah, every time he was on the floor, I felt like he was the best player. The Spurs end up yanking him. I think in like halfway through his second game, he played that first game against Aaron holiday was again, the best player on the floor. So just a guy who could dribble pass and shoot, play both sides of the floor, maximizes his athleticism, has great feel. His skill level and feel intersection really stands out. And for the Spurs this year, I think he's going to get rotational minutes. Like he's going to be a player for them. Yeah, Derek White was really good. The uh, the two games I saw him play. Also, I think it was funny. The like I felt like there was like that whole glut of guys who uh, they're just like, hey, this might be your last go. Show us what you got. And they go out. They're just gunning. And uh, <laughs> like I'm thinking, Henry Ellenson. I think he missed. Oh boy, he missed more shots than most people took. 
was looking it up. He averaged, I think, nine misses a game, which again is a lot for summer league. But anyway, uh, yeah, so we, we covered a ton of players. We went longer than we normally go. Uh, obviously, we're not going to cover everybody. But Cole, really appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge with us one more time. Tell people where they can get more even deeper in-depth stuff. Um, thestepian.com, if you haven't checked that out. Um, we do updated draft content throughout the year. You can go back and read our draft profiles on all these different prospects. If you want to compare what you saw in summer league, to what we saw in college, that's a good way to do that. I just wrote a piece on Derek white, breaking down his first summer league game, who of course we just mentioned. So check that out on the stepin.com. Also check out the Ode to Odin NBA draft draft podcast, which I do with Sean Darenthal, as well as the game theory podcast where I frequently host, or I guess you say guest host <laughs> with Sam Bassini. So check that out. We just broke down some trades today and we were also releasing a summer league pod that goes pretty in depth as well on Thursday. So be on the lookout for that. That sounds great. Cool. Really appreciate your time and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Cole for coming on once again. Definitely. If you were crazy about the draft, you got to go to the stepian.com and follow all the work they do. Follow Cole on Twitter at Cole Zwicker, obviously uh, spelled out in the podcast description for you. All right, uh, we will have a full episode finally with John and Chuck, hopefully this week, because again, uh, there's no power in my house, which makes things tough. Uh, A lot of our equipment that makes it all sound the best is not easily transportable. It is transportable, but it's not fun to move. But anyway, uh, just stick with us. Bear with us. We'll uh, we'll get an episode out. But thanks to you guys for supporting us. Uh, head on over to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast to support us there. You can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram at fastbreakbreak, uh, on Twitter at fastbreakbreak. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being GNG. Fab break, break, man. You understand? Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has never been easier thanks to SeatGeek. They've created an amazing app and website that makes ticket buying easier than it has ever been. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you never miss a deal. And more importantly, you aren't wasting time. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it all the time. SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. You get to see the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never surprise you with big fees at the checkout page. Now, here's the best part about SeatGeek for all of you out there listening to the fast break breakfast my listeners who make their first SeatGeek purchase get a $20 rebate and to get it all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app go to the settings tab and click add a promo code then enter promo code fast break break SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase it does not get any easier than that so download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code fast break break today With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.